there's a lot in that Galatians passage. And, you know, when Paul, when Paul writes, everything's dense. So, again, you're taking just such big bites of very rich food. I encourage you to go back and read through Galatians 3 and even into 4, 1 through 7. Uh, but you'll see the relation to the text that we're looking at today. And I wanted you to receive the whole context, even though it's like drinking from a fire hose. We're moving our way through uh, Romans 8. Remember, we're, we're on the other side of the resurrection. This is, our, this is our therefores of the resurrection series. And we're just looking in Romans 8 because Romans 8, I think we can draw all of this as a therefore of the resurrection because Christ has died. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And down and down we go, cascading through uh, Romans chapter 8. But I want to bring us back that that is the context. That's why we're in Romans 8. That's why this little short series in Romans 8 is happening, because we're living out. We're looking on the other side of the resurrection and considering the implications, the joyful uh, implications of the resurrection for us, the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first week we considered the fact that Christ has done for us what the law could not do. If you had Romans 8, 1 through 4 in your ear, when you go back and listen to Galatians 3, the whole chapter, um, you will hear all kinds of resonances. Paul is talking about the law and, and, and what the law could do. And the law, the law couldn't give us uh, the promises because of our sinfulness. Go back and, and just have Romans 8, 1 through 4 in your ear as you read uh, Galatians. And, and so many things will connect for you. But Paul said the law could not bring us to Christ because of the sinfulness of our flesh. We were moving away from the promises and not toward them, and that the, the law did not have the power to change the direction of the railway car. Remember, we used the metaphor of, of railroad tracks for the law. It, 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 it wants to lead you to Christ, but if the train's going the other way, then it actually leads you uh, to hell. It, it will lead you to judgment. It will bring more condemnation on you. But what the law could not do in that it was weak because of our sinful flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that on the account of sin, he might take away all condemnation and fulfill the righteous requirements of the law for us and in us, as we spend time in Sunday school reflecting on last week. And who are we who have no condemnation? Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we thought about that challenge last week of what that means. What does it mean to walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit? And we said, According to Paul, it's where do you set your mind? Where, is, where are the affections of your heart fixed? Yes, we all sin. Yes, from time to time, we look back to Egypt. Yes, from time to time, the, the fleeting temptations and pleasures of sin get the best of us in a given moment. That's not what Paul's dealing with. What Paul's dealing with is where is your mind set? Where is your heart set? Where is your treasure where are we oriented? Are we walking toward Egypt or are we walking toward the promised land following the spirit? Is our mind on the things of the spirit or on the things of the flesh? That's what we considered last week. This week now we come to verses 12 through 17 and I'll just go ahead and read it. And again, you'll hear the, uh, I think I'll go back and read uh, verse 11 as well. Just because, again, our text begins with a therefore, as we said with Paul, there's no easy place to jump in. But of course, verse 11 begins with a but. So we're just going to have to jump in there 
and make the best of it. So I'll jump back to verse 11, but our text is 12 through 17. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You'll hear the connections with, with Galatians 4. Uh, uh, seven. I want us to think this morning then about the spirit. You know, Paul begins this, therefore we are debtors. And he does, he just leaves that out there. You see the little dash that we have in our English translations, but therefore brethren, we are debtors. And he, he doesn't really go on to say what we are debtors to. It's just uh, there, there's the implication in light of what he's just said about the spirit and about Christ and all that Christ is for us. That if we are debtors, we are debtors to him. But Paul just stops the thought. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. And then feels the need to go back and remind us that we are not debtors to the flesh. That we are not still enslaved to the flesh. But reminds us once again that we have received the spirit of God, the promised Holy Spirit has been given to us as the children of God. So I want us to think then the, the, the uh, formative uh, or thematic uh, uh, topic for today, I want to be the spirit and what he does to us, for us, in us. So the first thing I want us to think about the spirit and our relation to him on the other side of the resurrection is that the Holy Spirit enlists us for battle. He enlists us for battle. Now, there's not particularly a battle theme in this text, but we can, we can find it. Because of what living in the Spirit means for us. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here we see first what the fruit of the Spirit, if we can use that metaphor again, or the outworking of the Spirit in us. If we have the Spirit of God, if we are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, one thing it looks like is warfare, killing, death. This is strong language that Paul uses here as the sword is turned back on us. This is holy war but holy war oriented toward oneself. If you're like me, it's very easy to grumble about all the problems in the world. And there are many, and they're so, they're just like, it's low hanging fruit. You know, it's just, you, you just flick on the news and just let the grumbling begin. 
But Paul's not thinking that way here with us, right? If you have the spirit, he doesn't say, if you have the spirit, you'll be able to point out all the problems in the world. You will see them so clearly. Go to war against them. Now, I'm not saying there's no sense of spiritual holy war that we bring to the world. I, I think there's a, there's a metaphor there that we can speak on. But that's not what's going on in this text. Hear the holy war. The war of God. The kingdom warfare is turned and oriented toward our own flesh. How well do we see those problems? How obvious are those to us? They, they end up becoming the background noise. You know, we get used to it. I got tinnitus in my left ear. It's really annoying. But, you know, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> now, now, right now, I can't stop thinking about it because now I said it. But up until the point that I thought of it as a metaphor, which never do that, okay? Never use your tinnitus as a metaphor because <laughs> you can't not hear it. But up until that moment, I didn't really hear it because I just, you know, it's, it's back, it becomes background noise, right? Well, oftentimes that's what our sin is. Our sin just becomes the stuff we're used to. It, it, we, we end up not being able to hear it anymore. It's like, I remember, I remember uh, I used this illustration for the students in the school often about, you know, they go to a Christian school, so they're used to hearing about Christ, 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 you know, and what that can become like is the ticking of a clock. I had, we had an old farm clock in, in the kitchen of our house when I was growing up and it had the little pendulum, you know, and so you had that, that little, you know, tuck, 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 you know, and I remember, I did, but I grew up with that, like for 18 years, I heard in our kitchen, and I remember oftentimes I would sit in the living room and see if I could hear it. See if I could actually make myself hear. I couldn't hear it. And then it's funny, it would come and I'd hear it. And then I could just like the tinnitus, right? But I was so used to the tuck, tuck, tuck. It just blanks out in the back of my mind. I, I, you, you hear right through it. And oftentimes our sins become like that. They're just the things I'm used to. But I look through them and I can notice all kinds of other things. I see your sins or the sins of our culture or the sins of the world, you know, so obviously. Paul here says, if you have the spirit, if you're walking by the spirit, then you will put to death. You will go to war against the deeds of the flesh. Think about the armor of God. What if we thought about the armor of God for armor we need to get suited up so we could go to war with our own flesh? It's not just so we can be armored up so we can go into battle with the world. No, no, we need to go to war against our own flesh. We need to put to, death, put to death the deeds of my body. I mean, I think of the language, and the, the language is very strong by Jesus as well, right? You know it. If your right hand causes you to sin, take that sword and cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I mean, it's strong language Jesus uses, but what he's getting at with his disciples is th it's this mindset that you must have with regards to your sin. If you have the Holy Spirit, he has enlisted you into war. The Puritan theologian and pastor John Owens said, either you will be killing sin in your life or sin will be killing you. It is mortal combat. And only one will survive. There's no neutrality. There, there's no kind of cruise control in the Christian life. There is war, whether you like it or not. Your sin is like a cancer that seeks to destroy you. And you must fight it back. Or else, as Owen says, it will kill you. And here we have it in the text as well. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Right? Again, this is mortal combat. You're fighting for your life. Now, again, not on your own. For how does he tell us to fight? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. This is not God merely setting you out on your own and saying, I hope you make it. He has given us all we need. He has given us his spirit. And if we have the spirit, then we will fight. If we have the spirit, we will live. If we have the spirit, sin will be put to death in our mortal bodies. It has already been put to death in principle on the cross. We considered that, that the old man, the old Bill Spanger, the Bill Spanger that was united to Adam has been crucified with Christ and he's dead. But now the work of sanctification begins by which that death in principle needs to work itself out in my flesh, in my hands and feet, in my mind and in my tongue, in my eyes and in my heart. And so here is a good gauge for us. How do you feel about your sin? This is a, and again, we don't have to be, we don't have to be uh, uh, overly critical of ourselves here, but let's, let's just ask, does our sin bother us? Do we feel like we're at war with sin? Do we want to kill sin in our lives? Or have we become neutral about it? If we're neutral about it, we should be concerned. Because it is seeking to kill you. So the first thing we have in the spirit, as we walk according to the spirit, as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, is you have been enlisted into war. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that we did the little series on 2 Timothy. And Paul reminds us in these metaphors of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them was as a good soldier. Right? We are a soldier who seeks to please the one who enlisted him who doesn't get himself entangled in civilian affairs, but he or she is locked in, right? There's a battle to be fought. There's a lot of things that matter, but right now we got to take that hill. And right now that's all that matters. And, and Paul says, yes, that's what we're like as soldiers in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit. So first the Holy Spirit enlists us into personal holy war, sanctifying, Holy war. And whatever victory you have, it will, be ha it will have, you will have because you've been led by the spirit. It's not just your own personal strength. You rely upon the spirit. But nonetheless, we must fight. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Work. Fight. Put to death the deeds of the flesh, knowing that it is a spirit in you who is willing and doing. So first, we are enlisted. Secondly, we are encouraged. We should be encouraged. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul's writing this to encourage us. Hey, if you're in a grappling war, a death match with sin, be encouraged. You're a child of God. Notice he doesn't say those who have been perfected are the children of God. No, those who are led by the Spirit. Where? Into war. 
So if you feel like you are really wrestling with your sin, you're trying to put this thing to death, but it's wrestling back. It's not giving in easily. Be encouraged. That's exactly where the spirit leads you into those kind of battles. If you weren't alive in Christ, there'd be no struggle. Again, I remind my students, I forget where I heard it. I wish I knew who said the quote, but it's probably just a simple proverb. You know, but only living things swim upstream, right? Dead things float downstream. There's no resistance to the current. So if you feel resistance to sin, if, if, if it bothers you, not merely because of its external, you know, its earthly consequences, but because of, of God and, and the disappointment, that the fact that God hates sin. So I want to learn to hate it as well. If you feel that kind of resistance to sin, be encouraged. That, that, that is the life of the spirit in you as you're trying to fight your way back upstream against the forces of sin and temptation. If we do not have the spirit, then we're like a dead stick. There's no resistance. You just move downstream with the current. And this text is meant to encourage us for as many as are led by the spirit, again, up the stream, as many as are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. And then here on, it's like, it's almost the, the language here, just as in, in, uh, in, in Galatians, it's, it's, this really requires, I think, time. And you got you to let percolate what he's about to say here, because these are just some of the most amazing verses. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again, a spirit of slavery, as some translations say. You did not receive a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom, by which spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I mean, here, this is the encouragement. The spirit enlists you into warfare, but that very enlisting is also, at the same time, an amazing encouragement. It's reminding us that we are the children of God. You're grappling with sin, be encouraged. You're led there by the spirit. You are a child of God. And don't panic about it. Don't fear. You're not, the spirit that's given to you is not a spirit that leads you back into slavery. The spirit that's been given to you is a spirit that liberates you from slavery and frees you to cry out to God, Abba, Father. It's a spirit of adoption. The, the spirit that has been given to you is a spirit of sonship. A spirit of adoption, your family now, you are the children of God. And this very struggle, this very gift of the spirit to you is itself confirming the Holy Spirit, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How does the spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God? What does that look like, that internal testimony of the Holy Spirit? Where can we look? How do I feel that? Where do I get confirmation of this word of the Holy Spirit confirming to me that I am, in fact, a child of God? One, it is the struggle and sin, that if we're wrestling with sin, that's the sign that the Spirit is leading us upstream. There's no other way to do it. You can't, you can't cultivate that yourself. It's a gift of the Spirit. But the second place you see it is in what do you cry? What do you say? What's your prayer life look like? When you talk to God, 
When you think of your relationship with God, what do you think of? Do you think of a slave master? Do you think of a great pharaoh in the sky cracking the whip over you and making you bake bricks without straw? Do you think as the, as the man in the parable of the talents, I knew you were a hard man and I didn't want to disappoint you, so I buried this talent right here. I didn't want you mad at me. Is that the God we think of? Or do you cry out, Father? <laughs> do you think of him not as the great pharaoh in the sky, not as the great taskmaster, but as a father? And I know, I don't know all your father backgrounds. Some of you may have had hard fathers. And so when you think of father, it creates a, it creates a great pharaoh in the sky because your dad was a great pharaoh. I don't know. But here, you know what he's getting after. Notice he keeps in the Aramaic word, which has stuck the test of time. John Piper, I heard him refer to this. And comment, I had never really thought about it. That it, the word Abba doesn't get translated by Paul into Greek, and it doesn't get translated by our English translators in English. They just leave it there. Abba. And he suspected because the disciples heard Jesus pray that way in the Garden of Gethsemane as he cried out to his Abba. And then told them, now you should pray this way, our Abba, who art in heaven. And it just stuck. That's it. We think of him as Abba. When you think of God, do you think of that kind of father? Whether your father just was a wonderful picture of that or not. We can imagine this kind of father. And when we think of our relationship with God, do you think of him that way? Do you cry out to him as your father? Again, going back to John Piper, I credit him on this. Because he said, you know, almost uh, pulling from James chapter 2, where he said, you know, do you believe in one God? Great, even the demons believe that. Right? Christianity is not ultimately about having theological propositions all nice, neatly in a row and being able to say it just right. That's a good thing. I encourage you to do it. It's very important. If we love God, man, that'll just be fuel on our fire to be able to express things well and understand the theology of things. But trust me, the devils are better theologians than you. The, the devils can understand the concept of God as Father. But what the devils don't do is cry out, Abba. They don't call God Abba. There is that affection for God, that relationship with God, that fellowship with him, that access to him. Not only is it something, not something they have, it's not something they want. But you have it. You have it. You want it. We think of the God of heaven and earth as our Abba, as our dad, as our father, our papa. Think of all the familiar language of father. I mean, it really gets down to that level of familiarity that this is how the spirit leads us to think about our father. You do not have a spirit that leads you to think of God as a great pharaoh. And if you're thinking about him that way, you need to repent and turn. Because that is not the God of heaven and earth. He is our father. He is our Abba. We don't have a spirit that leads to fear. We have a spirit that liberates and leads to joy. Again, I chose Exodus 4 as our Old Testament reading today because in some sense, this very thing is Exodus language, right? You have Israel that once was in slavery. And their Lord, their master was Pharaoh. 
And now the Lord sends Moses to say, let my people go that they may come and serve me. And Paul even uses the language in Romans 6. We once were slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to God. But now in Romans 8, Paul is wanting to clarify what he means by that. He is not equating God with Pharaoh, slavery with slavery. The slavery, the service that we bring to God is the joyful service of a son to one's father whom he loves. It is not equivalent. It's not like you move from one Pharaoh to another. You've been taken from Pharaoh and returned to your Abba. You live in fear, having to bake bricks without straw, under the fear of death with your children being taken. And now you have been liberated to be with your Abba where he rains down bread from heaven and gushes out water from rocks, where he slays your enemy that they come washing up on the shore of the Red Sea. And he leads you into a promised land where you will inherit cities you didn't build and wells you didn't dig and vineyards you didn't plant. And he will just give it to you. So walk, fight, grind it out in the wilderness with your Abba because he's right there with you traveling in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, moving with you, winning battles just by you lifting up your hands. You win battles. That's what it's like to be with your Abba. Why would you ever forsake him? Why would Egypt ever tempt you as we confess that it from time to time does? This cry of Abba is the confirming and encouraging work of the Holy Spirit in us. So the Holy Spirit enlists us for war. He encourages us by confirming to us that we are sons. And then finally, he entrusts us. Or maybe I could even say using the Laodicean text in Revelation 3, he enthrones us. Because again, as wonderful as it is to have that confirmation to be able to call God our Abba, I mean, what he goes on to say here, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. And here, this just, I think this should almost make you stunned and need to like get the smelling salts out to tell, you know, as they used to say, get rid of the vapors, you know. And if you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. We're going to take up that last sentence, slide it into next week's text. But I just want you to meditate for a second on that. You've been enlisted into war by the spirit. You've been encouraged, even in that struggle, that you are the children of God. And to know, encouraged by the confirming work of the Spirit, that as you cry out to your Abba, as you look at him as your father, you are encouraged to know you are the children of God. And if you are children, brothers and sisters, then you are heirs. Heirs of all the inheritance of your father. It's all yours. And not just heirs, like what portion? You are co-heirs, joint heirs. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the passage in Revelation 3 to the church of Laodicea, I I have yet to kind of get used to it or acclimated to it. It's stunning 
Hey, church of Laodicea, you're wretched, blind, poor, and naked. You think you're rich. You're nothing. You think you're rich. You're poor. You think you see so clearly you're blind. You think you're special. You're a wretch. Now, come to me. I'm standing, church. This is, remember, this is a word to the church. Hey, church, I'm standing at your door knocking. Open the door. Let me in and I will come and I will fellowship with you. And to you who overcomes, you do that. Do what? Open the door and fellowship with him? To you who overcomes, I will give to you to sit on my throne with me. <laughs> Think about it. I will give to you to sit on my throne with me as my father gave to me to sit on his throne with him. Next chapter, chapter four of the book of Revelation, I saw a throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 thrones. And the elders, the 24 elders, 12 of the old and 12 of the new, representing the whole church, is seated on thrones around the throne, sharing the very throne of God. What kind of God does this? That's no Pharaoh in the sky. You will be my sons. And in this sense, ladies, even you are sons. Because the son here is not a masculine term like you'll all be boys. That, that's not, the, the term son here is a royal title. Exodus 4, here's what you do, Moses. You go tell Pharaoh, if you caught this in the end of that passage, you go tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you let my son go. For Israel is my son, my firstborn son. Ladies, you are the sons of God. Because son in this case means heir. Son in this case is the one who inherits the throne. Son in this case means the king. And Israel as a whole, men and women, were declared there as the son of God. And yes, we are the sons and daughters of God. And the ladies, as women, you are inheritors of this. So know that. But the word son here, I just want us to let it land home, is a royal title. Right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, Peter says to Jesus. And by that, he doesn't mean you are God. Jesus is a son in a unique way that you are not. He's the only begotten son. But Israel was the son of God. And you in Christ are sons of God. Liberated from Egypt being brought to the promised land where you will be seated on his throne with him for you are co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, entrusted by him with all that is his, enthroned by him to share the glory that is his alone, but that he brings you in because he's your Abba, he's your father. He brings you in to share that glory. It's stunning. And I encourage you to meditate. It would take a lifetime of meditating on this. And just as you start to get it, you'll be there. And so you'll get to it. But in the spirit, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to get to fighting. Pick up that sword. Put on the armor. 
get out of church and go to war. Start right now. You probably need to start right now. It's not, there's no protection in you. Wake up tomorrow morning and may your thought be, I'm engaging in warfare. Let me be prepared. Because if you knew you were, if you were overseas somewhere and you knew it was battle and you were in the barracks somewhere and, and revelry uh, woke you up in the morning, you would wake up and there'd be a little rush of adrenaline, right? Because you'd know, hey, there's a, there's a chance I suffer today. There'd be a little shot of adrenaline as you strapped it all on and got ready to go and then got in the caravan to go out to war. You'd feel that. And so I want to encourage you being led by the spirit tomorrow to feel that little shot of adrenaline when you get up and realize I got to strap it on and get ready for war today because I'm being led into battle by the spirit. I'm not running into battle. I'm being led by the spirit. Just as Israel is led by the spirit through the wilderness, I'm being led. Jesus was led by the spirit out into the wilderness to face Satan. And you are being led by the spirit into battle. And as you go, May your heart sing. May it not be bound up with fear. What if I lose? What if I suffer? What if I fail today? What if I fall down today? Because you do not have a spirit that leads you that leads to slavery and fear. But you have a spirit of sonship. You can fight freely. Joyful warriors for the kingdom. Because you know who you are and whose you are. You are children of the king of kings. You are the inheritors of the new creation. All of it is yours in Christ. So be free. Use your life sacrificially because you know what you have in Christ. May you be encouraged by that and challenged by it to go forth and to serve him this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are stunned when we hear your word tell us that we of all people would ever be co-heirs with Christ. To share with him, not only in the work of the kingdom, but to share with him in the reward, to sit on his throne with him as he sits on your throne with you. Heavenly Father, we are humbled. Encourage us this morning. Invigorate us on to the warfare that being a follower of Christ calls us to and summons us to. May we not get out ahead of the spirit, but may we be led by the spirit into whatever warfare he brings us that we might put to death the deeds of the flesh and in so doing be encouraged that we are in fact the children of God. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that you have not left us alone in the wilderness. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are our Abba and not just another Pharaoh in the sky. We thank you for your love, your eternal and infinite love, the height, depth, width, and breadth of which cannot be plumbed. We thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.